right, welcome back to the show. Of course, my name is Darcy, and joining me as always from the North Country is Jason. How's it going, buddy? Oh, a bit frosty again today. Yeah? Yes? You're not getting any uh, hot weather up there this week? No, no hot flashes. Oh, that's too bad. We're, uh, I think we're up to minus 12 or something right now here in Calgary, so that's pretty awesome. Ooh, not bad. Yeah. Almost time for a t-shirt. <laughs> it is. I, it was shorts and t-shirt weather today for me, so. But I'm weird But it way. feels like it after minus 40. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Well, like last Friday, I was in Kindersley, Saskatchewan. It was minus 36 with the wind chill, so good times. <laughs> oh, the flatland. Yeah, well, and it's... <laughs> The worst part is the wind, right? Because you, it, I don't know. You can only stand the wind for so long, and then you just want to go psychotic. Yeah, I, I'm not a prairie guy. I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, at least you got trees up there, right? So that's good. Yeah. So we got a uh, few things to cover. We got a statement that we should, uh, I guess, go into. We got to the. Uh, a uh, statement by President Clement Chartier of the Métis National Council regarding the SNC-Lavalin affair that has been going on in the Government of Canada for a couple weeks now. And uh, we we posted this on our uh, Facebook page for anybody who's on our Facebook page. Make sure you head over there and like and follow. Hint, hint. Um, but the bottom line is, is they go on to say all these awesome things they've done. Uh, they've worked with all these ministers that they name kind of name drop and then what was really interesting I thought um, was the statement that all Canadian citizens or all Canadians including citizens of the Métis Nation will have to make up their own minds on the Trudeau government in the election year what I will say is that none of the issues surrounding the treatment of an engineering firm alters the fundamental relationship between the Trudeau government and the Métis Nation which I'm not sure why it would Uh, More than any other government in Canada's history, the Trudeau government has striven to bring the Métis people into the Federation and is a full participant into the social life and economy of our great country. We stand with the Prime Minister and his government in maintaining and building on this relationship and expanding opportunities for our people to have better life in Canada. Uh, So that is the final part of that statement. First thoughts, Jace? Well, I mean, let's be really honest. Um, what part of the the federate, you know, the Métis National Council or its affiliates wouldn't be in love with the Trudeau government? Absolutely, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. If you gave me a billion dollars, I would probably be your friend, <laughs> you know. Um, and so it's it's really a, a no brainer to think why why the uh, this organization would cuddle up to the the Liberal Party specifically. Um, you know, it's like good cop, bad cop. You go from uh, the Stephen Harper era government and uh, the the mass amount of funds that never uh, ever came <laughs> to the Liberal Party, which just throws money at you so that you'll you know roll over. You know, one freezes you out and one buys you off. So which one would you prefer? You know, I mean, clearly it's it's let's take the money. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, well, and I I just when I read this statement, I thought it was pretty sad because, um. Not only do they not even like, as for, I'm just trying to scan through it right now, but I don't even believe they say they mention Jody Wilson Raybould in here. Um, so the truth is, is like I, I would have, you know, I, I would un- expect this kind of a statement, but perhaps maybe even a little bit to say, you know, like 
the this controversy with Jody Wilson Raybould and this SNC Lavalin affair. You know, we support Jody Wilson. However, we also support the Trudeau government um, and blah, blah, blah. But, like, they don't even mention Jody Wilson-Raybould. So I'm not even, to be honest, on face value, I don't even know why they would need to issue this statement because it's kind of like a statement saying, uh, you know, the federal government's uh, treatment of people in, uh, I don't know, Edmonton doesn't affect, of non-Indigenous people in Edmonton doesn't affect our relationship. Like, it... It almost doesn't make sense unless you actually mention Jody Wilson-Raybould, which this statement doesn't do at all. So, it, mm-hmm. the 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 what I guess the only reference to her they say is there has been a reoccurring suggestion that the resignation of a female Indigenous Justice Minister and Attorney General of Canada speaks to a deteriorating relationship between the Trudeau government and Indigenous people. But I mean, they they didn't even name her like. <laughs> Like, from my perspective, I think that's a little disrespectful to just, you know, it's now just some anonymous female indigenous person. Like, you can throw her name in. Like, how hard is that? I don't know. It just seems so disingenuous, you know? Yeah, but it's political rhetoric, right? So you don't name the person outright, so then you're not liable for anything you do or don't say. So you can just skirt the whole issue. And really by bringing her into the conversation in a roundabout way or not really just allows you to get to the meat and potatoes of what you want to say is that, uh, you know, it's an election year and no one's done more for the Métis people than the Trudeau government. Well, and that's a very good point. Like, I mean, why, why would this, I mean, the, the federal government's had issues before. I mean, they've had broken down communications with various indigenous groups. They've, you know, they've had land claims deals that were set, had setbacks and yet no statement from the Métis National Council. But on this issue, right before the election year is coming up, when this is the government that promised us, like you said, a few billions in dollars in over, you know, however many years, but they promised a lot of money. So, hint, hint, Métis, you should be voting for Justin Trudeau's government. Hint, hint, hint. Yeah, Exactly. And so, again, we see some very good politicking by by the Métis National Council in its ability to use one issue to really kind of highlight another. Um, you know, where what SNC's uh, relationship with the federal government turns out to be will be an issue, but it would be the first time that uh, government and private business has got into trouble together. We've seen just about every party in every, you know, sitting run into some kind of hassles that way um the fact that an indigenous person was in a portfolio that uh got tied up in the mess you know is is yet to be seen what is it actually who knows a lot of speculation but at the end of the day what how do they wrap up this statement it's like hey we're going to make a public statement about this but you know you know it's an election year and uh we've got to make sure the white knight gets back in so we can continue this uh, gravy train of money for Métis people. Absolutely. I mean, and and that's really and truly quite sad is how much they fear a change in government because um, even though, you know, whether you agree with, uh, you know, the premier of, of Manitoba or not, whether he's a good guy or not, who knows, don't, doesn't really matter. But the truth is, is when he, when that guy got into power, he started shutting down deals. And we've talked about those in the past uh, with the MMF. And so I think that's what these guys really fear more than anything is a change in government, which would mean 
absolutely starting back over from zero with all of those funding promises. Everything resets and they go back to knocking on the door going, can you, can we come in please? And that, that's what it's just kind of screams to me is how much fear they have of a change in government. Well, and that's, let's be honest, that's pretty much what would happen. Um, the, the new, the new conservative party face and its leader and everything else is pretty much, you know, guaranteeing, uh, Métis people and all indigenous people are returned to the free out that uh, was felt in uh, the Harper uh, era. And I don't see how that's going to be unavoidable if they get in. And so, of course, really, who would the organization gravitate to? I mean, if you're a Métis person, you don't really have a choice, I don't see. You either are going to get the cold shoulder uh, from the, the Conservative Party if they get in. You're going to get the same platitudes that we're getting right now from the Liberal government, which is basically the payoff. Yeah. Um, so if you want to pay off, I guess that's what we're going to vote for. You know, for the the final surrender of uh, Métis rights, really, and and I guess you vote for the final solution, or you vote for another freeze out. You know, which would you like? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's just it. Like they're really putting the fear in people's minds that uh, you know, without Trudeau, all the money goes away, and you know, your lives are going to end, and all this kind of stuff. So it's a, it's pretty pretty fear mongering there. But it's funny because actually, I just was reading the final paragraph where I, I always skip this part because it's basically just self uh, glorification of the Métis nation. But what's interesting is in the last paragraph, they say the Métis nation's homeland includes the three prairie provinces and extends into the contiguous parts of BC and Ontario, which we already know the blue blob map. But then they go on to say there are approximately 400,000 Métis nation citizens in Canada, roughly a quarter of all Aboriginal peoples in this country. I, th- I think that's a, a, quite a bold statement from them, considering they don't have 400,000 citizens of the Métis Nation. Uh, there might be 400,000 citizens living in those provinces, but they're not necessarily... I don't think they're all Métis Nation citizens, and it, it seems like they're really trying to push that they are the largest Aboriginal peoples in the country and they should have the most power, is really what this kind of, kind of seems like they're pushing. Because I've... I've heard them make this statement several times now that they're, they're you know the the largest single largest Aboriginal group in the country. So I, it's interesting that all of their uh, communication now is going to start saying that. Well, and it would really be interesting to see um, how factual that statement is, given the fact that we have seen over the past numerous years um, a reductive push in all their membership. Yeah, um, we've really seen the membership reviews. Um, we're looking at probably a further diminishment uh, of those overall numbers uh, in Ontario. Yeah, as those communities are, uh, you know, on probation and you know, from what I see, probably exiled from the MNC structure. So, yeah. you know, um, you know, stats can what had little over in the last census of uh, people who could self-identify as me really had only about six hundred thousand, I think. Yeah. Um, and so the Métis National Council is claiming that they have 400 and change um, of the 600,000 identifying, self-identifying Métis people. I can't honestly see it. You know? Uh, I know I can't. You, took, you look here in Alberta. We had, I think, on the stats can was just about 100,000, just over 100,000 self-identifying Métis people, yet the MNA's membership role is only hovering in the mid-30s, I believe, 30,000. Yeah, and and honestly, that's uh, that thirty thousand isn't. I mean, we really have no way to confirm that. Um, 
that's just what I've heard and when I've, I've never actually seen a hard number, but yeah, it's about a third of what stats can say. And I know I'm pretty solid that they're taking that 400,000 from Statistics Canada, which then means maybe they represent 20 to th- maybe 30% of that, but I, I doubt it's even that high. So yeah, and I'm I'm not sure what the membership roles are in the other provinces, but uh, historically Alberta was one of the biggest, uh, most enrolled uh, provinces for Métis people in the MNA. So roughly, I I would be surprised if the uh, MNC's actual membership was anywhere over a hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah, that's just it. I mean, especially considering that the MNO really shouldn't even be included in those stats right now. Um, and <laughs> I mean, they're basically getting rid of most of the Métis Nation of Ontario as, as being Métis. So that's even going to reduce that 400,000 even more. And same thing in British Columbia. So yeah, I'd, I'd be very shocked to see them have a hundred thousand Métis that they represent. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've heard numbers where the MMF only has, you know, up, up to maybe around 20,000, so and Saskatchewan cannot have that many. I mean, what ten thousand members maybe? So we're talking about any fifty, sixty thousand people. So I mean that's a lot, but it's certainly no four hundred thousand people. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a a gross misrepresentation. But hey, not out of the realm of what they're uh, used to propagating, you know. Well, so, yeah, and I, and I think I think, I think you know it's it's dangerous though, like because uh, on one hand they're they're going around having these reductive thing, you know, membership reviews. Hey, send in your membership. Hey, send in your membership. And the people that come to us all the time and yeah. comment to us all the time about how they're no longer admissible as members or citizens within the nation. Yeah, and here we have them, you know, saying we're the single largest homogenous group of Indigenous people in Canada. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Very disingenuous. Absolutely, and I mean, it, it's to me, it, it's just that's like a huge ego thing. I mean, just absolutely insane. But hey, that's what they're claiming, and that's what they say. So a lot of things on that statement that I think, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's an interesting statement. Let's just say that it's there's so much to that that I think is just. Uh, you know, ass kissing to the Trudeau government, gently nudging people to vote for him out of fear for what might happen if the blue guys get back in, and then uh, the overrepresentation of their own uh, population or their own membership is amazing. Yeah, and and I mean it's all couched in in very nice you know a political bow and tie for you to to swallow. You know they got some good misdirection at the beginning. Yeah. To to lead up into the, you know, to remind Métis people it's an election year the, and to tell it off that, hey, we can't tell you how to vote. But yeah. but if the red guys don't get back in, if that Justin Trudeau don't win, all this money, yeah. all this government recognition, it's going to go away. So we can't tell you how to vote, <laughs> but we can sure, sure scare you in the right direction. Well, and what does that say about all these things that they have put in place that these they're so proud of all these MOUs and all these, you know, all these things that have been put in place if the next government that comes in can just take it all away? What have you negotiated then? You you I mean, if if they're negotiating on the basis that they're not expecting the Trudeau government to ever be unelected, 
That's an amazingly ignorant standpoint to take. But, I mean, essentially that's what this statement basically says is if he goes, we're screwed. So what kind of negotiating are you doing? Because you're not negotiating stuff clearly that is solid enough to let withstand multiple generations of government of different kinds. So, or different, uh, you know, left and right. So, I mean, that's some pretty piss poor negotiating, if you ask me. If you're afraid that you're going to lose everything in a changing government, well, okay, so let's maybe say Trudeau gets through here in the next election. But what about the one after that? What, (laughs) you know? You can't win forever. But I think this whole point is, are, are they hoping that all these MOUs that they've signed, all this money that they've promised the next four years will sign up, you know, be the final solution. Then you're actually going to see the rollout of a Métis Act. You know, for, for Métis people, you're going to see, you know, programs and services in the way of a plastic card that Métis people can get, you know, Indian right version of health care bonuses. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what their expectation is or what these backroom talks have been uh, about what happens in the next term with the Trudeau government. But clearly, based on the, the, the language that's being used, a lot of these MOUs are probably only as good as the red pen. They were signed blue pen to sign paper. Most of it's going to be budget cuts. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think it speaks volumes, too, because, you know, like when you look at um, this, um, well, we'll get into this in a bit, but I, uh, we're going to talk about this indigenous frame, rights framework. And, and I think there's some interesting things to that that kind of tie into this. Um, I, maybe we'll just get into that now, but it, it kind of all ties together because, uh, well, there was an article that came out about Jody Wilson-Raybould and Carolyn Bennett not getting along and battling over this Indigenous rights framework. And I mean, again, from what I understand is the Métis National Council is really the only one that's like, yeah, pro-framework, let's do this, let's sign this thing, just have it to us, we don't care what it says, just give it to us, we'll sign it, it says framework. Um... And everybody else is like, well, this thing sucks, including Jolie Wilson-Raybould, if this article is accurate, where she was, she had serious concerns about the framework. So again, it's just like, these guys are so quick to jump on everything that the Trudeau government throws at them. It it makes, I mean, for me, just being a cynic, it makes me very nervous when somebody's willing to do that, who's supposed to represent people. Um. So, I mean, well, I, yeah. And, and that's the whole point of, of the framework is, um, I don't know about you, but a lot of this hasn't been thoroughly disclosed. No. As to what all, what all the what all is of it. Yeah. And so we know that uh, only the Métis National Council is happy with it. Yes. Um, so of all the indigenous groups and peoples that we have who represent us and interface with us, you know, on either being members of parliament or as lobbyists like for the AFN or the MNC, they're the only group that are happy with it. So I don't know what they're getting specifically giving them the jollies when everybody's kind of running in fear from it and and saying, you know, this is a bad deal. Yeah. But it, it really makes you question, where's the transparency then? What's really going on behind closed doors that we're not privy to that these organizations haven't clearly spelled out this is what is good or this is what is bad with the deal. Well, absolutely. And I mean, you know, especially with something as as important as this framework, uh, why aren't we able to see what this framework is? 
why aren't we able to see what this means to Métis people if, you know, in this case, the MNC signs on? But let's say down the road, other organizations are able to sign on to it. What does it mean? And and right now, we just all we know is it's a framework agreement. Well, I like it, it, it hasn't really been made public. It's only been made available to, you know, indigenous um, government, I guess, uh, so to speak, like chief and council and stuff. But... But what does it mean? I mean, when they're all rejecting it, yeah, like I think that should throw up a red flag <laughs> when when it, pretty much everybody's wholeheartedly rejecting this except one. Um, but I, I, on the flip side of that, I think what it's obviously going to do is give Métis a foot in the door that they didn't have before because we have no land. So I can I can see them wanting to get kind of almost anything that will give them that hold that First Nation and Inuit have as far as land goes. Um, but at the same time, should we not maybe stand with our, you know, indigenous family, so to speak, our brothers and sisters from the First Nations and Inuit, and say, well, if it's not good for all of us, it's not good for any of us. Isn't that maybe a better idea? I don't know. Well, and, and I do agree uh, on a lot of those points. The reality is Métis people are in a unique position is that both other parties um, are both land-based. Yeah. And the Métis people aren't. And so what, how does that framework benefit Métis people? I don't know. Maybe there's not a lot that affects us uh, in this deal because we don't have land. Yeah. But that in and of itself should be the problem in any framework agreements we make going forward with the government is that we still have in one acre of land, <laughs> uh, um, you know, for the collective Métis people outside of the settlements. And so that's a real problem. Yeah. So I don't know. But again, it's like you said, you know, how how are we adequately as the Métis people, whether you're skeptics like us or you're, you know, you're backing the MNC horse, how are, how do you feel really confident about what's going on when it's a closed door deal? Yeah. Um, and we're not going to find out till after, you know, the pinpoint reason why the AFN thinks it's a bogus deal or the reason why the MNC thinks it's a good deal. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it's it's really sad that I think you have more transparency and accountability in, you know, the federal government of Canada than I, than you do in these Métis organizations because essentially their attitude is, well, you elected us so we get to do whatever we want because we'll do it, you know, quote-unquote on behalf of the people. But there's no, there is no accountability. There's no transparency. There's no ever times where they, they come, they say, okay, let, you know, even if they love the deal, let's, and just say, okay, well, we're going to take this back to our people now. And we're going to have, you know, two months of meetings and find out if they like it and then come back to you. They, they never do that. So I would be really, really nervous if I was a member of these, uh, you know, car- the cartel, as we like to call them, for them to just sign whatever deal the government's placing in front of them right now. Because to me, that means they're clearly not going through this document. And what does that mean for two generations from now, uh, Métis people? When uh, when the Clems and and all and the leadership that's in those positions now have all moved on, what does that mean for Métis people? And I'd be very nervous to have them just sign on these agreements without consulting the Métis people. I mean, to me, this is pretty obvious, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, and it goes back to what we were talking about before: is that with no transparency, and you're right, what happens down the road is that well, what happens when Clem's gone? And uh, the MMF leadership's gone. And yeah. the Trudeau government's gone. Yeah. 
what where are we then are we on solid ground or we have guaranteed like are these framework agreements guaranteeing in the federal government's budget in perpetuity that these funds will be available these programs will continue yeah regardless of which party's in are these are like constitutionally protected programs now yeah or are they going to be at the whim of the next party that gets in exactly you know, and is this framework agreement, even if it's good, bad, or otherwise, is this framework agreement, you know, is it so binding that down the road another federal party isn't going to get in and change the framework or make amendments to that framework? Well, and on the vice, on the flip side of that, is it so locked in that down, you know, 25 years from now, does that mean Métis people can never come back and, and renegotiate this? They can never come back? And because, I mean, you know, at one point in time, there was treaties signed, and clearly those weren't upheld. But you don't see the government going back and renegotiating those. So what is this framework going to do? Is, how can you set a framework in place from here to the end of time for Métis people in the relationship with the Canadian government when we all know that things change, times change? What is a million dollars now, 30 years from now, isn't going to be worth two pennies. You know, like it. So is the language in these things amendable is it uh changeable is it workable as the you know as things change in the planet I, I don't know and and how does it address all of the constitutional issues and rights for for Métis people I, no one knows who knows no and that's and that's the real challenge and you bring up a lot of good points i mean in the end then are we signing are the Métis people Métis national council then signing its membership onto what could eventually turn into a Métis indian act that you can't get out of yeah. Or is it just further enfranchising? Like, is it just uh, integrating Métis people more into the Canadian system? I, I, who knows? I, I would love to tell you, but I don't know because we haven't seen it. And certainly the Métis National Council isn't going to post it on their website for people to have a look at. So, I mean, you just have to trust these guys. These guys that were caught a few years ago putting in illegal expenses and buying their own books in bulk and things like that. Uh, I don't know if I trust those people a whole lot. Well, hey, it's a bad track record. And then you're saying, yeah, no, but we're better now. So, you know, you can trust us now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but in the reality is how do you do that without transparency? I'd be, you know, it's a lot easier to trust someone if you can at least see where this this is going down the road, what has been negotiated or what are the points, you know, that are going to be down the road that we can have a discussion about. Absolutely. And instead it's a, it's a wholesale, you know, you just got to trust us deal and we have no idea where that's going to go. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I, you know, um, I don't know. I just... You were, I'm seeing stuff in from Métis Nation of Ontario already where people are now, like, they want to dig into the financials of the MNO. They want to dig into, you know, some of the transparency and stuff there now. Now that they're not necessarily not in the cartel, but they're kind of on the, on the very verge of being out of the cartel. And a lot of people want to see the finances. And guess what? They're not getting access to it. And so... Uh, you know, I seen a thing posted today where some lady refused to go to attend an event that I guess she was the guest of honor for. And she said, no, I'm not going until the Métis Nation of Ontario shows some accountability and transparency. So on the flip side of things, I think it's a really good sign that people are starting to take a stand and say enough is enough. 
we want to see what's going on and we don't want this behind closed doors, you know, crap anymore. And so maybe hopefully that spills over into these other provinces. I mean, I realize that the leadership there basically has the attitude that we'll just take whatever the government gives us. But perhaps uh, you'll start seeing more and more people standing up and saying, no, we want to know where the money's going. We want to know what's being spent and we want to know what these deals are that you're making and, and how that affects us. Because honestly, I think they're entitled. I don't know why anybody would want an organization that does things in secrets and doesn't tell the people that they're supposed to represent what's going on. It's, it's mind-blowing. No, and I think you can bring up a good point that the, the reality is that the, you've got the Métis Nation of Ontario, you've got lots of the individual councils who are demanding access to the finances because of the forensic audit that came out. And, you know... Clearly, if there was nothing to hide and this was just a you know miscommunication problem, they would follow their bylaws and make the paperwork available. They'll open up the books and it should all be there. You know that's what the forensic audit's for. Absolutely. Um, and instead, you have this you know turtling by the MNO administration uh, to close ranks. And really, that boy that gives you the real confidence that there's nothing to hide here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, does it ever, eh? <laughs> you know, so they, I mean, it's, it's really easy to put your trust in people who say, nah, nothing to see here, move along, and, uh, you know, don't show you what, what you're supposed to be after. And what's really, what, what's really staggering there is it's on their bylaws. You know, I've seen a few of the videos put out by uh, several, several of the council members there talking about, you know, what's going on. And clearly they should have access, an easy access, really, to the financials. But that's not forthcoming. And really, what I, I am like, I agree with you, is that it is nice to see that people are standing up. The individual councils in Ontario are standing up and trying to hold the, the leadership to account. And hopefully it does spark a, a resurgence in what the grassroots power in these organizations is. It should be an organization that is, you know, by Métis people to represent Métis people in the way that they want to be. Uh, represented with the accountability and transparency that is required. And uh, hopefully the MNO starts a trend. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I'd love to see that more and more in all these provinces because, I mean, the reality is, is I, I'm pretty sure that no matter what, if you tried, if you were a member in good standing and you tried phoning the Métis Nation of Alberta's office and saying, hey, I want to come in and have a look at your financials, uh, I think you'd be getting the big uh, old nope, no siree, you know, shutdown kind of thing. And yet, uh, it's probably in their bylaws. I'd have to go check, but that you know, members can have access to the books. I mean, we've seen nothing but hiding of books and hiding of info and hiding of you know employee information that uh, and all of this stuff. I mean, these organizations should be absolutely one hundred percent open to their members. If you want to know what one of the employees spent on their expense account last, you know, February, you should be able to go look that up. But you can't, and and they say you can, but then in actual actuality, they in reality they they don't let you do that. And so, I I really just hope we start to see more people standing up because I think that's what it takes is more and more people need to stand up and say we want to see what's going on. We want to see behind the, you know, the curtain. We want to see the where the wizard is and see what's really going on. Well, and, and how sad is it that uh, 
the every level of per, provincial government, federal government, municipal government is more accountable in how the monies are spent, yeah. even in their own salaries and their own expense accounts, than any Métis organization that's getting federal funds. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that that whole ball of wax in itself should be a rally call for Métis membership of these organizations to demand equal accountability to other forms of government. If this is really a Métis government, and it's a government for Indigenous, you know, entitled Section 35 rights bearing Métis people, they should have the same accountability that the colonial counterparts have. That's what they tout, isn't it? The UNONC touts that they're the same kind of government that that is, you know, on the federal side of things. For sure. And yet they have none of the accountability that goes with it, none of the transparency. So how does that work? <laughs> well, quite well for them, actually. <laughs> But yeah, I, I I totally agree. I mean, um, you know, even with the chief and council and stuff. Now I know some people have had a harder time getting this information, but the reality is, is there is a process in place for members of whatever nation. Uh, I'm just talking First Nations here to actually call Indigenous Affairs, and they're supposed to be able to get their their nation's financials and all of that information. And I mean the the financial information that. Uh, that you know, chief and council has to present to the government is a way more detailed than anything the Métis National Council or or really any Métis organization has to provide. I mean, you see their financials every year; it's so vague. And I mean, I mean, what is travel? What does that include? You know, and so on one side you have First Nations that are, you know, it's expected a certain level of transparency and accountability and accounting for all the money and accounting for everything. And then on the Métis side, it's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, just put it in the travel fund. We're, we're good. And we found out through a forensic audit by the government a few years ago that both David Chartrand and, and Clem Chartier were putting through expenses in, like, travel and different things that were not actual expenses for those things. One of which was uh, Clem Chartier's book. He had the, the Métis National Council buy a whole whack load of the books and they put it under um, office expenses. And the government came along and said, uh, no, that's not an office expense. Um, so, you know, it's things like that where why why isn't this stuff being made available? Like you said, it's ridiculous. You have... Your MLAs, your MPs, your provincial representatives all have their stuff online. I mean, you can go anywhere and Google, you know, salary of a member of the Legislative Assembly of Alberta, and you get their salary and how much they make in bone or in uh, commission committees, and you know, like you get very detailed info. I mean, you go find uh, Madam President's salary. Good luck finding that. No, and I think that's problematic. And I- and that's what these statements really show, is a, a real double standard. Uh, they show that they're interested in, in positioning themselves as Métis government, as Métis counterparts to the federal government. Yeah. But they really lack all the integrity. They lack all the transparency that would come with that title. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, the president of the Métis people of Canada in the form of Clem and the Métis National Council has less accountability, less transparency than any civil servant that works for the colonial settlers. Yes. 
How how is that a good thing? Absolutely, absolutely. And and the the you know the thing the other side of this too is like yeah we have the Freedom of Information Act. So you know you can go and get uh, a lot of information. I think you you might even be able to get like specific police officers' salaries and stuff. I'm not I'm I'm not sure, but maybe. Um, I've seen people get that kind of information. I've seen people, you, you know, you can get all sorts of information. But yet, though that doesn't apply to the Métis National Council or its affiliates because they're private corporations, uh, non-profit corporations. So they're exempt from Freedom of Information Act laws, but they call themselves a government. So it's it's a nice little double standard. Like, we can be a, you know... Uh, a non-profit when we need to, and it suits us best, and we can avoid some rules, but we, we're a government in, when it also suits us, and we can get in the press and make headlines and stuff like that. So, But all of these things combined just make me go, I don't trust any of you to sign a deal for anybody on anybody's behalf. Yeah, and that's right. And so they make these big statements. They throw around big numbers. They, they, they talk a lot of smack. And really, at the end of the day... We're still left with the nonprofit positioning as of, you know, trying to transition itself to, you know, a government, you know, a federally yeah. recognized government. Yeah. Which is pretty preposterous. Well, absolutely. Especially when, like, we, you know, we talked about it last week uh, with that whole Head Start program. Uh, there's no land being exchanged here. So you're, you're, you're going to end up in the same place with more programs and services, but you, you're not going to have land. You're not going to have these things that that really make you a nation. Um, I mean, you're a landless people still. If they want to say they're the Métis Nation, great. Where's your land? Where is your nation? And just kind of dropping it on top of a Canadian map doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't doesn't hold water. Um, to just say, well, here it is, and and then to you know, it's been kind of changing for a while, so. It just, I don't yeah, know. Because, because in all honesty, the only Métis people who are not stateless are the people who live on the settlements. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those are the only Métis people that really have any clout because they have access to the land and are on the land. The rest of everyone is a stateless person. Yeah. You know, and it's all about the publicity. It's all about getting their face in committees, all about getting in front of a camera and, and, you know, positioning themselves as the authority on all things Métis, you know, uh, if there's a policy, if there's a program, if there's funding, you know, the MNC continually positions itself front and center as the only game, you know, the only horse in this race. And, you know, but on the back end of that, you know, really all falls apart. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that's the thing, like they want to position themselves in that position, but yet they don't, I don't know. It's just uh, it's just very, very unsettling. And I, I, I think about what the you know when they when I when we look at these deals, I think well, you know when we we saw the MMF negotiate a an what a fifty year deal where basically the future generations had no say for fifty years. Well, what kind of framework deal is this? Like, what are they negotiating? They don't obviously don't negotiate for the future generations. And I think it's. It's terrible if, I mean, what are Métis people really getting out of this? And it, they're not getting land. So at the end of the day, there's really no, there is no meat and potatoes to these agreements. There's really no nothing there. Because Métis people didn't win. 
they 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 negotiated some special service, but they didn't get land. And and really, when you think about like who are you standing up for if you're not standing up to get land? I mean, Christy Belcor has questioned them as to are we getting land or or not. Um, but you know, their answer is kind of always, well, you know, this is a first step. This is a first step. Well, we've only got a few years left with Trudeau at best, so you better make a lot of your first steps right now <laughs> and get them in, in writing, in, in concrete writing, because, you know, Trudeau's not going to be there forever. I know he's the answer to our prayers, but he's not going to be there forever. Yeah, that's right, and we've, we've talked about that, and and that's the, the sad part about it, you know, that uh, there's no real land, there's no real commitment to any indigenous value system like we talked about last episode. And I think what troubles me is the position the MNC's put itself in relationship with the government. I mean, how many committee meetings go on where the only meeting group that's talked to is these guys, you know, yeah, they are now being positioned as the only authority on all things Métis. You yep. know, they throw around huge numbers like like in that letter. We represent 400,000 Métis. Well, prove it. Where's your membership role? Because you know that's not true. Absolutely. Yet, so, you know, they, when it comes to, hey, Eastern Métis, well, the MNC is the authority on the Eastern Métis. And when it comes to funding or programs and services or language for Métis people, well, the Métis Nation is their front and center. Yep. And I find that deeply troubling. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, I mean, there's, there's so much to that, that discussion. I mean, you know, you, you look at this agreement they made with uh, First Nations on the uh, East Coast um, to uphold First Nations rights, yet in their own territory, they don't uphold First Nations rights. They, they couldn't care less because they're the largest, uh, you know, single Indigenous group in Canada. So what do they care? And it, it's just a hypocritical attitude every step you go it's very shifty and dodgy like well we're non-profit so freedom of information doesn't apply um but we're government because that's really going to grab the headlines uh well we're this we're not that we're going to sign agreements we're not going to tell anybody what those are like it it is it is the most piss poor way to run an organization that is supposed to represent people um i mean this honestly wouldn't be this shouldn't have lasted this long. It really shouldn't have. Because um, any other organization that runs itself like this would, would have went out of business. They would have got their funding cut and been shut down. Just for the simple fact that, you know, if you're not even going to follow your own bylaws, if you're not even going to uphold your, you know, what you say you're going to do for your members or, or make yourself accountable to your members, well, then, you know, your funding shouldn't come through. And yet here they are. So they're really good at politicking. That is for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, how many videos have come out recently where that's, that's exactly the case where they're very good at politicking. Yeah. Now, when it comes to delivering, delivering on those promises from AT people, you know, where's the proof in the pudding as it were? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, I have a, I have a little video clip. I I wasn't sure if we were going to play it, but let's let's throw it in anyway. Why not? Let's just throw it in, and I'll uh, I'll just press play here. Hopefully, it plays. Um, I have seen some documentation where, when we were talking about the Métis population, uh, anyone east of is it Ontario, right? Anyone east of Ontario, the identity of a Métis. 
uh, is still an issue um, or not identified within the Métis, Nation, Métis National Council or uh, nationally. How do we solve that issue, especially if they identify themselves as Métis and want to apply to teach a language? Yes, well, no, all, all we say and all we can say is who we are, the historic Métis Nation of, of which you're a descendant, uh, is based in Western Canada. We extend into Northwestern Ontario, Northeast BC, into the Northwest Territories, Northern United States. That's our geographic homeland. We are a distinct people. We're not, not anything else. Now, there are people in other parts of Canada that are saying they're Métis using the dictionary definition of, of mixed ancestry. Now, what they would apply for, I don't know. Uh, perhaps they want to learn Haudenosaunee or Mi'kmaq. I, I don't know what they'd want to learn, but they certainly would be applying there. They wouldn't be applying to a Michif fund because Michif is the language of the historic Métis Nation. So there he's talking about, uh, you know, uh, the, this is in re relation to the Indigenous Languages Act. So he's talking about how, uh, you know, anybody outside the Métis Nation wouldn't ever apply for a Machif uh, funding for ma the language Machif because, uh, you know, it only applies to the Métis Nation, um, which, again, you know, he had to point out that they're a distinct people and, and they're the only ones that exist. And he made it very clear about their boundaries, you know, this portion of BC, that portion of Ontario. And so, I mean, you know, again, you have all of Ontario cut right out of that because apparently nobody else in Ontario speaks Machif. Um, you know, things like that. So it's, I don't know, it's it's a very uh, interesting video, I think, just in the fact, just the way he kind of addresses things and kind of reiterates how... Uh, you know the people in the east uh, they might be mixed but they're they're not metis nation and i again i think this goes back to something we talked about you know near you know november december last year where they're very much marketing themselves as the metis nation everybody else can be metis but we're the metis nation and he makes that distinction here again which i thought was interesting well i really actually enjoyed that part <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. he actually keeps bringing up the fact that that people people in the east are in on all fairness using the dictionary definition for the word metis yes in that they are a mixed blood indigenous people yes and you know you hear that right from clem so people clem acknowledges there are people in the east who are using the dictionary definition of metis yes but yet that would then preclude the fact that he's not <laughs> because he's not using the dictionary definition of Métis for determining the identity of Métis people inside the Métis nation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They've, they've come up with their own definition that that's not in a dictionary. <laughs> well, setting that aside, I think you make a really good point though, where they're, they're very distinctly saying basically essentially acknowledging that there are geographical like differences of Métis people, just as there are with First Nations. I mean, you can't say you, you, there, there's no one First Nation that's all the same, right? That we know that the, you know, Blackfoot are much different than the Mohawk and blah, 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 blah. So, but yet they're all First Nation. And here we have him basically acknowledging that, well, we're a distinct people as far as the Métis nation goes. But there's people using the term Métis elsewhere, 
because they're of mixed ancestry and that you know, like you said it's a dictionary definition so it's it's interesting for him to acknowledge that there are actually different kinds of metis there's <laughs> the ones that use the actual definition of the term metis but but he's basically acknowledging those two things and that's what we said would happen back in November and December when they came out with the big old blue blob map was that essentially and and the, and the total elimination of the you know those six communities in Ontario that have been determined to be Métis, um, we've essentially said that the Métis identity battle is over. And I think if people were to calm down about it and stop listening to one or two and people on Twitter that are trying to sell books, the reality is that it coming straight from the, Mét the cartel president, he admits that there's Métis all over the land. We're just one type of Métis. And... Uh, and I think that's a really good point to make. I love that. Yeah, and I think it's again like we like you brought up the the fact that we you know hey we called this back in November when when they made their big press release about the blue blue map <laughs> and they're redefining the boundaries was to change the language again uh, about this conversation about Métis identity and here they're clearly continuing this theme of acknowledging that there are Métis people dictionary definition Métis people all over Canada, what makes the Métis Nation distinct is the things that um, they are claiming are needed for nationalism. Yes. Uh, a flag, a language, a home territory. Yes. Um, and that's what they're staking, staking their Métis nationalism on. And that's a, that's a different discussion altogether, but the reality is as far as individual identity goes, we can clearly see that the Métis Nation acknowledges the fact that there are Métis people all over the place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and maybe that's the difference between wanting to be a nation for well, a landless nation, but a nation nonetheless, as opposed to being a people. Um, you know, like when you when when you hear some people talk about Métis, it's Métis people. We're, we're a people. We're, you know, and what these guys are very clearly doing is trying to build a nation, like you said. And and maybe that's a distinction that needs to be made. Maybe that. uh you know, all those non-cartel Métis out there who who are using that damn dictionary, um, hey, maybe they're just Métis people. And if that's the case, they're allowed to form their own governments. They're allowed... Maybe we don't need to be a nation. Maybe we can just be Métis people with governance. <laughs> you know, like, what what is so special about that specific term, nation? that really makes everybody need to have that? Well, I think, in all honesty, it's a, we're talking about a legal definition of words now. Um, yeah. What does it mean to the federal government of Canada to attach the word nation when you say First Nation? Uh, when you say yeah. the Cree Nation, or the Anishinaabe Shabbat, Shabbat Nation, or the Blackfoot Nation, why is it that the Métis people of Red River are trying to use the same language? And I think that's more of a legal term and... and you know, when you're talking about constitutional rights and jargon, you know, if there was somebody more knowledgeable, I'd like to hear it because that's that's what I really feel that discussion is about. Um, equality with First Nations and nationalism and, and working towards, you know, the Métis Nation having a shot at the same status of that a treaty gives First Nations. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. The only thing I would uh, disagree with you on there, Jay, and I hate to do this, is, you know, we're almost on 100 episodes, <laughs> we finally disagree. 
uh, is the word equality. I don't think they're actually trying to go for equality with First Nations or Inuit. I think they're going trying to go above them. I think they're trying to say that they are the largest Indigenous group in Canada. And I think there's a reason that they're doing that. And it'll probably be very present and, and, and a, very noticeably as to why they're they're trying to promote that message uh, in the next few years, whatever next move is for them. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, inequality, inequality. I mean, like the the saying that the treaties are really yeah. the benchmark for relationship between indigenous people and and the crown, and that's something that Métis people, by and large, are excluded from. And so, if the Métis nation can attach itself to that national identity that First Nations have with the, you know, signing of treaties. I think that's the leverage they're really going for yeah. is is to be able to shoehorn their way in to say the Métis people, even though we came after, uh, you know, the First Nations as, as far as occupation on the land, have equal title and claim to it as First Nations. Totally. And that's, I think, you know, so, and we've heard that language already being there where we're very, very aggressive uh, towards First Nations, and we've seen some of the backlash in, in regards to claiming the Blackfoot Territory uh, by the Métis National Council. So, but I think it boils down to the fact is what makes a nation is people. Uh, people make a nation. And the fact that the president himself again came out and said there's Métis people all over. Uh, you know, so I think that bodes well for the future of non-MNC citizens. Uh, totally. You are a people. And I think that's a good place to start. Absolutely. And I, I just want to kind of, I was just kind of giving you a hard time anyway about that, but <laughs> we, we got to disagree once in a while, don't we? Or, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> got to get controversial. <laughs> oh. um, but no, I, and I wanted to, something that you said uh, kind of triggered me to, to remember that, um, you know, as, as far as you were talking about uh, being on par and having rights to the land, What's interesting is, is they've already started doing talks and I, I, of course they always schedule these things like during the work day, so I can never go, but cause I really would love to go to these things, but, uh, <laughs> they're having, they've had, uh, you know, a presentation of Métis in Southern Alberta and the history of Métis in Southern Alberta. And, and, uh, I think what they're going to be doing is they're going to be positioning themselves really quickly for perhaps another court case, uh, to prove Métis presence in Southern Alberta to try to get uh, Métis rights in Southern Alberta. As we all know, they were shot down before, but I think they're going to try again or they're going to start. I think, they're, well, they're definitely starting that ball anyway. So I thought that was interesting. And I, I totally forgot about it until you just mentioned the, you know, rights to, or the access to land because it's very interesting in this, you know, within three months of this blue blob map, they're starting to have talks now about, you know, how there was Métis in southern Alberta for, for a long time before Alberta was formed and, you know, stuff like that. And so I, I you know, uh, just a warning out there to all the Blackfoot people that think that, no, oh, this is all great and Métis National Council is awesome. Uh, I think that they're going to be mounting another case to try to come after hunting rights and stuff in your harvesting rights in, in Treaty 7. And Yeah, and, and that's what I mean is it's all legal wrangling because our, the Métis Nation is only going to try to prove because all the government cares about is pre-assertive control by the Crown. Yes. And the Métis, the Métis Nation is going to try to prove again that they had and were present 
and occupying the territory before effective crown control. Totally. And that's really the only conversation. Yep. What totally usurps this conversation is the fact that the Blackfoot were still there before both of them. Yes. Before the Métis people got there and before the Crown got there, the Blackfoot people were still there. Well, and... and, and yeah, Sorry, go ahead. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and it goes back to what we were saying about... Um, uh, just respecting First Nations rights, I mean, guaranteed they're going to go after this. They're not going to consult with Blackfoot. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to negotiate with them. They're just going to take it to court and see if they can prove it in court again. And if they do, I guarantee you there will be no Blackfoot sitting at the table when they go to negotiate with the government as far as harvesting rights or, or uh, any other rights. So, you know, it is. It's just a political game, and... and kudos to the, the cartel because they play it well. They do play a very good political game. Every time Clem Chartier speaks, he he definitely has to uh, promote uh, not only the cartel, but he definitely promotes the Trudeau government. Um, in that video clip, he, he's talking to the this lady in the committee, and, and you know he makes sure to point out that... Uh, you know, she's also a descendant and, and a member of the, the Métis Nation. And then there's this brief pause where lets that sink in for a minute, just to just to reiterate that the person that's asking him the questions is actually a member within the Métis Nation. And I think that's what they've really done a great job of is infiltrating and getting into the government, getting their people in the government. And I think that's honestly where a lot of other Métis organizations fall flat is is that politicking. So if I'm going to say anything good about the Métis National Council, it's that they're really good at lobbying. <laughs> what an excellent organization. That's why they're the forefront. If there's a committee meeting to be had, they're there. If there's a, an engagement Absolutely. with Métis people, they're there. And and that's to the exclusion of all others. And I think that's the real challenge. you know. And I think the reality is they're going to try to prove, even beyond harvesting rights in southern Alberta, We've really seen what this is about is any development that goes on, you know, especially yes. talking about their urban center of Calgary. If you can lay claim to the land, then you have to be consulted. If you have to be consulted, then there's a payoff. Absolutely. And as we've seen, Métis, these, the Métis cartel cares, cares very little about your harvesting rights. They care very little about your land and you returning to it. What they do care about is that they're consulted about energy or real estate development and their inclusion, you know, and the possibility of a payout. And uh, that's what getting claimed to Southern Alberta gives them. If they can prove that they were there, pre-existing control, they have the right to land and a land acknowledgement, that means they can get title for development. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, uh, I think we've dissected this stuff enough for the uh, for the week. Um, I don't know if there's any last thoughts you have, Jay, but I think we did a pretty thorough job tonight. Another breezy conversation, man. Time just flies by. <laughs> I know, I know. An hour, it almost seems like not enough, but then I think two hours might be a little too much. <laughs> but we, we can go on for a long time about this stuff, and we have, so... Yeah, just come on a trip with us this summer. We will drone you right to sleep. Absolutely. And I just wanted to remind or ask everybody that who's listening, um, if you've made it this far in the show, good for you. But I'd also like to, <laughs> I'd like to ask you, we are coming up to our 100th episode. And so I wouldn't mind getting some maybe some suggestions of perhaps topics, even if we've covered them in the past. Maybe you want us to 
maybe go over them again or some new topics or anything like that. But let's, uh, I, I kind of want to put the challenge out there to, for people to kind of get involved and not only just give us suggestions, but, uh, you know, if you're, if you're willing to even help build, build the episode and, and build the content and, and let us, let us know what's important to you guys. And so again, for anybody who's listening, if you're interested, you, we're on all sorts of social media, you can leave, um, a good place to talk is, uh, to go on our Facebook page. And once this episode is posted, it'll be on the Facebook page and you can make comments there. So I would say just head over there, make comments, and you know, but don't don't just throw out suggestions. Let's, uh, I mean, you can throw out suggestions, but then we're going to contact you and say, hey, let's work together on that. So it's going to be a little work, but uh, I think it's going to be fun. And I, I would like to, for our hundredth episode, I'd love it to be more of a uh, audience interactive uh, episode. Um, that was my for thoughts sure. today. I think so. if anybody's, yeah, if they, yeah, absolutely. If the people got a topic or an issue. Or Métis related, I think if they want us to try to tackle it, episode one hundred. Let's give let you know people can shoot us their top hit list of of uh, things they want us to rant and rave and dissect or go on a diatribe about. <laughs> Absolutely, and and you know what, I, I, it doesn't even have to. It doesn't have to be about anything in specifically. Um, well, kind of specifically about Métis issues, but I mean, it doesn't have to be you know, something that's negative or anything like that, or it doesn't have to be about the cartel. It can be about anything. And, uh, you know, if you have a community or, or a, a local event happening and you want to talk about that or want to get it mentioned, uh, we're always happy to do that at any time. So make sure, especially coming into the summer here soon, hopefully, if we ever get uh, some spring. But, uh, you know, it's a great time to send us messages and let us know about events and community-level events. But also, if you have a community of Métis people that are doing some really cool stuff, maybe you want to get that highlighted. Maybe let people know what you're doing. So I uh, would love that. Uh, so head to our Facebook page and do that. And uh, it would be greatly appreciated. And I guess uh, in that light, if you want to go to our Patreon page and help uh, support us and, and get this show even bigger and better, uh, that would be super appreciative. And to those that have already pledged, uh, we love you, and you're awesome, and it definitely helps to pay the costs. So um, I guess until next week, for both Jason and I, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses, a fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. No more living in darkness. Our time.